Blessed be your name in the land that is plentiful, where your streams of abundance flow. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name when I'm found in the desert place, though I walk through the wilderness. Blessed be your name.
Happy New Year, church family. I pray that you're doing well. I pray that you are filled with the joy of the Lord. I pray that you've been fattened with the goodness of his kindness over these holidays since Christmas and now into the new year. Thank you for joining us this morning as we worship together and praise God, our Savior, uh, praise Christ the Lord, and praise the Holy Spirit who seals us and keeps us until the day of redemption. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want to welcome you and wish you a, a happy new year as well. Uh, please let us know that you're, you're with us. So over in the chat function, drop your name, say hi. We're a friendly bunch. We'd love to greet you and welcome you to the church. And if there's any way that we can serve you spiritually or in other ways, uh, let us know that too. You can reach us at the church office uh, through the church website, or you again can leave us a note there in the chat, and we'll do our best to follow up and to encourage you in any way that we can. Church family have a few announcements about our life together as a church. Uh, a few things coming up over the next couple of weeks. First of all, on January 7th, that's Thursday, we'll have our Prayer First Thursday gathering. So rather than our regular um, uh, Bible study, we will gather together to pray and bring in the new year together, seeking the Lord's blessing and guidance in prayer. The following Thursday, the 14th, we'll resume our study in 1 Thessalonians. And following Bible study uh, on the 14th at 8 o'clock, we will have an open budget meeting. And back in December at our members meeting, we presented a budget for 2021 for the congregation to consider. This is a meeting that um, you're not required to attend, but everyone who wishes to attend uh, can come. It's an opportunity to ask any questions you have about the budget that we've presented, uh, the position that we've recommended to the congregation, uh, and other things related to approving the budget for 2021. So that's Thursday, January the 14th, following Bible study on Zoom. And so do look out for uh, registration details for that. Finally, on January 15th, we have our next new members orientation. Uh, if you're interested in joining the church or you'd just like to know more about us as a congregation, we invite you to join us for that time. It's online via Zoom. We will cover what we believe as a church, our church covenant, and our mission uh, here in the neighborhood as a congregation. So this is an opportunity we like to provide for people to get to know us better and for us to get to know you better. And so if you've been thinking about joining the church or you have questions about uh, the church, please come on out, uh, register for that, contact Abbey in the church office. We'd love to have you for that time and love to get to know you in that way. And I want to say to those of us who are already members, uh, you're welcome to join this orientation too. You've already gone through this, of course, but come to get to know some of the persons who are joining the church or, or asking questions about the church. Come and hear again some of the things that we consider basic to membership in the church so that those things aren't forgotten and so that we put them into good practice. And so we would welcome you to these orientations as well, especially since we're unable to gather yet uh, as a congregation. Well, those are our announcements about Life Together as a Church. A couple things for us to celebrate in the coming week. We've got some birthdays to, to uh, rejoice in. On Tuesday, January 5th, Pastor George Carrera will be celebrating his birthday. Uh, so do encourage George and pray for him uh, on his day of celebration. On Thursday, January 7th, our brother Jose Collazo uh, will be celebrating his birthday. And so remember him and Cody down in Florida. Uh, pray for them, encourage them, drop them a note, let them know they're on our let them know that they are on our hearts. Uh, and then Friday, January 8th, we've got some birthday twins, 
James Mullins uh, has a birthday, and Sydney Reese uh, has a birthday. So encourage James and Sydney on Friday the 8th. And finally, on the 9th, Miss Teresa Willis has a birthday. She's been a mother to us all, an encouragement to us all. Definitely let us remember Miss Teresa, um, encourage her, and bless her on her birthday as well. So, beloved, those are our announcements, and those are our birthdays. Let's take a moment to quiet our hearts that we might continue in worship. Let's quiet our hearts together now. Our call to worship this morning comes from the book of Job. Job chapter 13, verse 15, these well-known words that I hope is written on everyone's heart. Job says there, though he slay me, I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. That's the kind of heart we want toward our God. And even when things go terribly wrong, as they did in much of 2020, our hearts nevertheless trust, hope, depend and cling to him. Let's cling to God this morning with our hearts as we sing his praises. Family, if you're anything like me, then you enjoy having a pretty good sense of what's going on around you. Maybe even a sense of control. But I love this next hymn. Uh, the writer says, basically, even if we try to measure the world around us with what we can see, uh, it leaves us in awe of the God who created it. Our souls sing that he's great. If we try to measure things with what we can think and uh, calculate, when we consider Christ and how he died for us, it leaves us singing, he's great, he's just great. And even when Christ returns and we can physically be in his presence, our souls will still exclaim, God is great, how great thou art. His ways are higher. He's more excellent. Uh, oh Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. So family, um, let's rejoice in uh, Christ's greatness. Um, and let's sing, how great thou art.
Hello, ARC family, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. For those of you who don't know us, my name is Adam. And I'm Jessica. And we are just excited to be able to share with you this first Sunday of the new year. And we were just thinking like, wow, like so much has changed in that time. You know, we joined back in August, but like this time last year, we would not have known that, you know, the Lord would be calling us from our family church yeah. to ARC. Mm -hmm. We did not know that that would happen on the cusp of a global pandemic, which would alter all of our lives and really affect our ability to gather with all of you. And, you know, sadly, we didn't know that the Lord would call home so many of our, you know, close friends and loved ones. And I think that's been like the biggest change we've had to endure during this time. Yeah. And through so much devastation and pain, um, one scripture that has continued to ground us and keep us encouraged is Romans 8.28. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those um, who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Um, this has been... Um, we've had so many questions so many times. We're like, why, Lord? We don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. But it's been deepening our faith and allowing us to just continue to embrace the change and trust um, and throw our burden on him, uh, knowing that he'll guide us. And I think one, one poignant part of that verse that stands out for me is, you know, to be called according to his purpose you know, to be called by the Lord really means uh, and requires change. Mm -hmm. And uh, most importantly, to be changed um, in your heart so yeah. that we can be drawn to the good news of the gospel. And I think um, as, I, as I think about what that all entails, there are many beautiful things and many blessings that come from that. But um, there's also a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. And I think the, the beauty is that we have a savior who has suffered. And so he can relate to our pain and suffering, but his suffering wasn't in vain, you know, because he was resurrected from the grave to everlasting life. Uh, we have that same hope. And I think that that is something that has really helped guide us through these past several months uh, of loss and devastation. And I just say that for me, um, the Lord has continued to open my mind and allow me to trust in him um, through change. Being a former Jehovah's Witness to being called um, by Christ um, and now coming to a new church I've had um, a serious issue with a fear of change throughout my entire life, really not embracing change. And the Lord has worked with me greatly and been so patient um, with uh, helping me embrace and know that he's going to take care of me. He's going to make sure that um, everything is operating in the way it should be according to his will and his purpose. Um, and I think as we enter the next season of, of major change, um, he's going to guide and direct us as he always has. Um, 
speaking of which, speaking uh, of which. there is there's one change <laughs> that we are looking forward to very much. Yes. And that is Yes, we're pregnant <laughs> with a little baby girl and um she'll be due uh in <clears throat> July, yes. Lord willing. Yes, and we're so excited uh for what the Lord has in store for our family and um for for all of us as a church. And we're just asking and thanking you in advance for your prayers. We pray that um, this child will be a healthy baby and that we would be good stewards over this life that the Lord has entrusted in us. Uh, it's a major task ahead, but you know we look forward to sharing our family with all of you. Um, hopefully sometime in the near future, we can all get together and really rejoice and um and the blessings that god has bestowed upon us so still much to look forward to in this new year and no matter what we are trusting god's plan trusting his purpose knowing that he has done only good yeah. and so we thank you thank you let's sing of our great hope in the lord who never fails us He's our anchor, our sure and strong foundation. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. When darkness, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. Oh.
family and once again happy new year to everyone praise god for 365 days of new mercies in 2020 he brought us through and praise god for bringing us into a new year where we again depend upon and look to him for new mercies every morning well this is the time of year where people have a certain kind of hopeful anticipation the old year is gone the new year has come Resolutions are being made, hopes are being expressed. And interestingly, in 2020, people began longing for 2021 real early. <laughs> Might have been May or June. Folks are like, I'm done with 2020. We, we just need to get to 2021. 2020 is canceled and so on. And that's an interesting perspective. Number one, it's, a, it's an understandable reaction to the unusualness and even the difficulty of 2020. But number two, it's a kind of reaction that almost thinks of the turning of the calendar as this magical change. Somehow just coming from one year to a new year brings us hope, brings us anticipation that what was broken in the past would somehow be mended in the future. But beloved, I want to suggest to you that if we enter into 2021, with a kind of romantic or a kind of magical sense that the new year changes the old year, then we might be setting ourselves up for some disappointment. Now, don't get me wrong. I, like everybody else, I want this new year to include um, remarkable new blessings from God. I want this new year to include changes from last year, the removal of things that made last year so difficult, the, the virus and social distancing and the inability to meet, the inability to visit family at the holidays, the inability to gather at funerals. I mean, 2020 was difficult and unusual in a number of ways that I, like everybody else, want to see change. But I want to help us this year spiritually by asking the question, what if nothing changed? What if the vaccine doesn't work and we go on with COVID-19? What if sickness continues? What if we continue to lose family members? What, what if the economy doesn't open up and we don't resume the regular social activities we had taken for granted in 2019 and previously? What if nothing changed? And the second question I want to ask you is this. Would you still love God? Would you worship God? Would you rejoice 
in God, if nothing materially, physically, socially, economically changed in 2021? How you answer that question tells you a lot about the state of your faith. But as I said, I want to sort of give us a word this morning from God's word that I pray and hope would ready us for 2021, especially in the unwanted situation where nothing changed. And to do that, I want us to look at the book of Job. I want us to consider Job's chapters 1 and 2. And as we look at the beginning of this account, I want us to recognize something, that Job gives us five biblical resolutions for sufferers to carry with him into 2021. Five biblical resolutions that will strengthen and steady us to continue to praise and worship and serve God if nothing changed in our society and nothing changed in our lives. Five things. Number one, five things to focus on. Resolve to focus on what matters most. What matters most. We'll see that in verses 1 to 5 of Job 1. Number two, resolve to focus on the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. We see that in verses 6 to 11, 6 to 12, excuse me. Number three, resolve to focus on the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God, verses 13 to 22. And then number four, resolve to focus on accepting the providence of God. Accepting the providence of God. That's chapter 2 verses 1 to 10, and finally, resolve to focus on being gospel friends, being gospel friends, verses 11 to 13 of Job chapter 2. Now look with me in Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would sit and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with him. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would sin and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, 
Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabians fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and, and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worship. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. They made an appointment together to come to show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him. For they saw that his suffering was very great. 
Most scholars think that Job is the oldest book of the Bible. We don't really know the date of the book. There's much that's not understood about the book in terms of its, its setting. But it is interesting that the oldest book of the Bible, the, the first message, if you will, that God wished to give his people in Scripture is a message about suffering and righteousness. It's a book about theodicy, how God can be righteous in the midst of suffering and evil. It's a book about how we could be righteous in the midst of suffering and evil. It's as if God wished to prepare the world even before it began to spin good to be ready for suffering, to be ready for things not changing for the better, but quite possibly changing for the worse. And it's in this context that we begin to learn from Job. And the first thing we learn is that we need to focus on what matters most. That's what we learn in verses 1 to 5. I mean, the problem with the pandemic, the problem with personal catastrophe, is that it will cause you to focus on important things, but lose sight of the most important things. We think about masks and vaccines. That's important. We think about disease transmission and social distancing, and that's important. We give attention to what public health officials say and what elected officials say, and that's important. And we, we think about the economy, and we think about the, the personal financial impact of, of a pandemic on families and individuals, and those are important things to think about. In fact, some of those things, disease transmission, mask wearing, public health guidance, can be life and death important. And yet they're still not the most important things. We figure out what the most important things is by, by looking at sort of two keys, two things that we're told about Job in verses 1 to 5. Notice, first of all, Job's character. Job is described as a righteous and a blameless man, an upright man. We're told that repeatedly. Verse 1 describes Job as blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. In verse 1, it's the narrator of the story who's speaking. But then we, we hear that again in verse 8 and in Job chapter 2, verse 3. But in those two places, it's God who's speaking about Job. This gets repeated so often because this is who Job is. He's righteous. He's blameless. He fears God, turns from evil. This is his character. And I want to suggest to you that personal character is one of the most important things for us to focus on. But notice the second thing. Notice Job's concern, not just his character, but also his concern. This righteous man was not focused on his wealth and possessions. According to verses 2 and 3 of chapter 1, Job had a lot of riches. He was the greatest of all the people of the East. He's the Jeff Bezos of his time. He's the Muhammad Ali of the East. He's the greatest. But wealth was not his concern. His overriding concern, indeed the most important thing to focus on, were the souls of his children. Souls, beloved. Our souls, our characters, and the souls of our families and our friends is what should concern us most in 2021. Look at me at Job chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day. 
And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. I, I love the end of verse 5. Job prays for his children. He consecrates them. He makes offerings for them, not because of sin that they have done, but because of sin that they might have done. They, they, they haven't even actually sinned as far as Job is concerned or is aware, but Job ain't taking no chances, not, not with the souls of his family, not with the souls of his children. He intercedes for them. He prays for them. He makes offerings for them again and again on behalf of his children. Notice how it ends in verse 5. Thus Job did continually. Our souls and the souls of our families is the most important consideration any day and all through 2021. This isn't the kind of thing we normally talk about or plan for at New Year's. But, but a lot of people alive today on January 3rd will not be alive December 31st. And a lot of those people will not know the Lord. All of them would have sinned because we all sin and come short of the glory of God. Some of them might have actually cursed God in their hearts, to use the language of Job here. How many of them will have had someone praying for them, interceding for their salvation? At the beginning of 2020, very few people had ever heard of COVID-19. And tragically, there are 336,000 deaths in the U.S. alone connected with this virus. Those are people who have left this life and entered the next life to their reward. And every one of those 336,000 people is somebody's family member, somebody's neighbor, somebody's friend, somebody's co-worker. That is not just a number. Those are real lives connected to many other lives. And the question again is, how many of them had someone praying for their souls as if their souls were the most important thing in 2020 or 2021? So, beloved, I think we have got to go into 2021, resolve to pay attention to the quality of our own souls, our own righteousness, and standing before God and paying attention to the, the standing of the souls of our family members and friends and the people who are around us. If we don't pray for them, who will? If God's people don't pray for the souls of their families, who's going to pray for their souls? So we learn from Job to be, number one, focus on what matters most, and that is our eternal souls. Number two, we learn from Job to focus on the fear of the Lord. We will not have a sustained focus on our souls or on the welfare of the souls of our families without also having a healthy fear of the Lord. So this means that cultivating a deep, a vibrant, a life-directing reverence for God, fear of God, love for God, has to be a resolution or a focus for us in 2021. 
And we see this from Job in verses 6 to 12. Verse 6 gives us this amazing glimpse into a, a scene in heaven. The, the sons of God, the angels of the Lord, are coming to the Lord. And along with them is the falling angel, Satan. He comes too, and they are in God's presence to give an account to God for what they've been doing. Now, interestingly, the Lord questions Satan about his whereabouts. In verse 7, Satan says that he's been going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. In other words, he's been roaming the planet. And the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 8, that your adversary, the devil, Satan, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Our enemy, Satan, is out traveling the earth looking to eat us up. But God bets on Job. God asks Satan if he's considered his servant Job. He, he says there's none like him on the earth, a blameless man, an upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. That's a breathtaking praise from God to Job, of Job. It's mind-blowing that an infinitely holy God would look at any human being and say something like this. Have you considered my servant Job a, a blameless, a, a righteous man who fears God and turns away from evil? Right away, I, I feel two challenges in my own, in my own heart, in my own mind when I read this verse. First, truthfully, I would like God to boast on me this way, but I don't want that kind of smoke from Satan. I don't want that kind of attention from the evil one. I mean, anybody else feel stuck between those two things? You, you want the praise from heaven, but you don't want the problems from hell. And the second thing, honestly, I'm much more likely to brag on myself than I am to let God brag on. I'm more likely to resemble Satan's pride than God's righteousness. So I'm challenged by the fact that if this book were written about the BD today, then the book is over in chapter one. I mean, anybody else have too much pride in their hearts for this story to go much further? For this bet is lost? Perhaps that's why verse eight says, there is none like him on the earth. You and I are not like Job. We, we can't read this book as if it's directly about us. This isn't a chapter where we just switch Job's name for our name. Job and his righteousness is closer to Jesus than he is to us. We in our sin are closer to the enemy than we are to God if we are apart from Christ. This is why we need Jesus. Because we are not righteous like Job. We are not blameless like Job. We need another righteousness to cover our unrighteousness. And that's what Jesus provides for us. In his obedience to God, living a perfect life before God, he is providing for us righteousness with God. And in his death on the cross, he is paying the righteous penalty for our sin. And in his resurrection, Romans 1 says he is raised from the grave for our justification, for our righteousness. We can have a righteousness that God boasts about. It just won't be our righteousness. It must be Jesus' righteousness. 
And so the gospel comes to us as a promise, as a gift, to take us unrighteous sinners and to make us righteous before God so that God boasts or exults over us in singing, the Bible says. And this is why if you're not yet a Christian, there's no way for you to be right with God unless you repent of sin, acknowledge that you're not righteous, that you're not blameless, and put your faith in Jesus, the righteous one, for your salvation. And if we're going to be serious in 2021 about our souls, I would suggest to you, I would urge you to do that right now. Repent of sin, put your faith in Jesus for his righteousness to become your own. Now notice here, God bets on Job, but Satan comes back with an accusation. That's what the devil does. Romans, excuse me, Revelation 12.10 says he's the accuser of the brethren. Satan says something interesting. Satan says, basically, look, the only reason Job praises you is because you've blessed him so greatly and you protect everything he has. If you stop blessing him and protecting him, Job will curse you to your face. Now, now Satan, interesting now, listen, Satan is basically accusing Job of believing the prosperity gospel. Satan is saying that Job only likes God for what God can give him. He's accusing Job of being a materialistic, comfort-seeking, wealth-worshipping God. Some of y'all clutched your pearls when I mentioned the prosperity gospel. But I want you to know, beloved, there are all kinds of prosperity gospels. There's the health and wealth prosperity gospel that we normally think about. There is the political candidate prosperity gospel that some of us celebrate. There's the moralistic, self-righteous uh, prosperity gospel. There is the purity culture prosperity gospel. There is a good parenting produces good kids prosperity gospel. There is the American dream prosperity gospel. There are all kinds of false gospels where we believe if we only do the right things, then God will bless us. In fact, we think that God must bless us if we live right. Well, Satan is depending on Job to believe that lie. Satan is depending on Job to believe that in being a righteous man, God will and must bless him or else God has done him wrong. Satan is depending that in, on Job believing that false gospel so that Job being disappointed by suffering will then turn away from God because Satan thinks what Job is really worshiping are the things, the gifts, rather than the giver. We got to be careful of this false way of thinking because when suffering comes, it exposes, it exposes that falsehood. Listen, God bet on Job, but God wasn't taking a gamble. Job has a focus on the fear of God that defines his life before God and defines his life in every situation. It's the fear of the Lord that keeps Job from idolatry. Job doesn't worship his riches because he honors God. Job prays for his children, but he doesn't idolize his children because he fears the Lord. It's the, it's the Lord that Job loves, honors, respects, delights in, and trembles before. It's the Lord that Job wants above all things. Because he fears God, Job turns away from evil. He turns away from evil, not away from God. The fear of the Lord 
keeps Job near the Lord. Now, in 2021, we're going to have to face some sins and some false theology that were with us in 2020. We, we don't get sanctified because we put up a new calendar. We don't have spiritual victory just because we added a one to the year. And in 2021, we're going to have to face some things and deal with some things. We're going to have to face and deal with some prosperity gospel that, that gets sort of inserted into our thinking right about this time. You know, you know how it goes. It's New Year, so this is my year. This year I'm going to get my breakthrough. And on and on it goes. These annual professions made at the altar of prosperity. But beloved, growth in holiness and turning away from sin and evil are the result not of calendar changes, they are the result of revering or fearing God. The more we respect God, the more we reject sin. The more we honor God, the more we hate evil. The more we love God, the more we loathe transgression. If we want to make progress in faith and in righteousness, then we need to recommit ourselves to cultivating the fear of the Lord. And it's the fear of God that keeps us away, again, from prosperity gospels. Why? Because fear of the Lord includes love for the Lord above all things. We love the Lord for who he is, not for, for what he gives us. And when we fear the Lord, we, we want the Lord himself far more than we want anything in the world. When we fear the Lord, we say the kinds of things that the psalmist says in Psalm 73. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So let me ask you, beloved. Has there ever been a time in your life where you really dug in to study and to understand and to pursue the fear of the Lord? If not, I want to I want to strongly commend that study to you right here on the outset of 2021. Learn what it means to fear the Lord and grow in that reverence. Or maybe you have done that study before, but let me let me ask you a question. Do you need to dust off your notes? Have you recognized in yourself that the fear of the Lord and the zeal for the Lord has kind of grown cold or dull? You need to be reawakened to the awesomeness of God and revere him. The question that's hanging over verses 6 to 12 here is, how well do you and I respect God for the holy, just, all-powerful, all-seeing God that he is. How well do we respect him? We must learn to fear God at a deeper level if we're going to praise God in 2021 if nothing changes. Which brings us to a third thing. We want to resolve to focus now on the sovereignty of God. The focus on the sovereignty of God. See, when we fear the Lord, that reverence for God enables something else. It enables us to focus on the will of God and to bless his name for his will. 
which is another way of saying it, it enables us to find our happiness in, in what God wants to do rather than what we want to do. That's what we see in Job chapter 1, verses 13 to 22. Satan gets opportunity to destroy everything that Job has. So verses 13 to 15, he destroys the oxen and the sheep and the servants who took care of the oxen and the sheep, except one who, who lived to tell the story. Verse 16, he destroys the, the sheep and their servants by fire. Only one lives to tell the story. Verse 17, the camels are destroyed and their servants are, are raided. Only one lives to tell the story. Verses 18 to 19, while they are feasting, a wind knocks down the house of his children, killing all of his children. Only one servant lives, lives to tell the story. Everything is gone. In one day, in four reports, one after the other, before one report finishes, there's news of, of, of yet more calamity. Can you imagine this kind of loss and destruction? I know that some of you can. I know that some of you have your own Job-like experiences. And it might be that before the year is over, some others of us will have this experience. So I, I want us to prepare by thinking about how Job processed this. Look at Job's response in verses 20 and 21. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped, and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, how many of us, if we lose everything, everything we own in one day, including our families, will respond with worship? Notice how surprising verse 20 is. The first four verbs in verse 20 all point to Job's grief. He rose, he tore his clothes, he shaved his head, he fell to the ground. And tearing a robe was a, a cultural sign of grief or, or mourning. So was shaving the head. And in a situation like Job's where so much calamity is, is visited upon him, uh, we, we think of falling to the ground as, as evidence of, of crushing grief and sorrow. I think that's what's going on with, with Job. It's a scene of lament. But then notice the final verb of verse 20. Sticks out like a sore thumb, doesn't it? And worship. The word worship means to assign worth or value to something. In the midst of his most profound sorrow, Job gave worth and value and praise to God. Sometimes the place of hardest suffering is also the place of highest praise. Beloved, the dust makes a good place for a praise party. Sometimes our grief helps us to see God's glory. There is no contradiction. I love this. There is no contradiction between real suffering and real worship. So the question becomes for us, can we praise God in the valley of the shadow of death? We have to ask ourselves, how did Job get to this point? How did Job get to the point where he could praise God on the day of the worst calamity in his life? Well, verse 21 includes a marvelous summary of Job's theology. We get to see what Job thinks about God and how that shapes his understanding of his life on his worst day. 
Notice now the first theological truth. Job says there, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. In other words, Job acknowledges that life begins and ends with only our person. We didn't bring anything into the world. We can't take anything out of the world. In fact, it's not the possessions that we gather during life that define our life. Remember what the Lord Jesus says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. One's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. God does not measure our lives by our possessions. And those who know God well do not define their lives by their possessions. Listen, beloved, if our lives are not defined by our possessions, then our lives cannot be ruined when our possessions are taken. Even now, if our lives are not defined by how many possessions we have, then our lives cannot be shaken and ruined and broken by how many possessions we lose. Job understood that. He says, naked I came into the world, naked I go out of the world. Beloved, it's that nakedness that defines us. The person we are when we have nothing else is the person we are. The person we are when we have nothing else, well, that's the person that we truly are. Job had his integrity even when he had lost everything. He was still a righteous man. He was still a blameless man. He feared the Lord and turned away from evil. His integrity and his character did not depend upon his possessions and his wealth. So he could worship God by saying, naked I came, naked I go. Beloved, I think, it's, I think it's true that some people are afraid to be naked because there's nothing underneath. They have so defined their lives by their possessions that there's no there there. Notice the second theological truth. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, to ask the question the way the Apostle Paul does in 1 Corinthians 4 verse 7, what do we have that we did not first receive. Nothing. God has given it to us. Who did we get it from and who does it belong to? Well, it belongs to God. So that we are at best in our lives simply stewards, caretakers of things that God has given us for a little while. The Lord has the right now as the one who created us and created all things and the one who has given us whatever we do have in this life. The Lord has a right now as the creator and owner to give it and to take it away. It belongs to him. Now, when we know that it is the Lord's legitimate right to give and to take away and that anything we have actually comes from his hand, then we are able to praise his blessed name no matter what happens. See, to worship like this, we need sound theology. To worship like this, we need to know our Bibles. To worship this way, we need to understand God's sovereignty before trouble comes. If we understand God's sovereignty before trouble comes, then we tend to think that, that God has wronged us in some way. We will think that we, 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 we have been robbed by God. 
We will think that 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 we were entitled to some things that we now no longer have, and guess what we will do? We will blame God. We won't know how to read our lives in light of the truth of the Bible and of sound Christian teaching. So listen, beloved. The, the people most likely to worship God when things don't get better, maybe even when things get worse, are the people who know God as a sovereign ruler before trouble comes. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever made a thorough study of God's sovereignty? of his legitimate right to rule in all things, to give and to take away. Again, if you've not made a study of that, then might I suggest to you that you make that an urgent study right here at the beginning of 2021. Some theologians have said that God's sovereignty is his godness. It means nothing for him to be God if he's not the sovereign ruler of all things. But the question becomes then, how does that translate into our lives such that we praise God when he acts sovereignly, when he gives and he takes away, such that we bless his name, which is to say we honor him as sovereign ruler and we honor him for his perfect will. So we need to focus on God's sovereignty. Number four, if we're going to be the kind of people who praise God, even if nothing changes, then we need to resolve to focus on accepting the providence of God, accepting the providence of God. We're in chapter two, verses one to 10 now. See, if we accept God's sovereign rule, that he has the legitimate right to give and to take away, to do whatever he pleases, if we accept that, then we must also accept then God's providence. Providence, you'll, you'll know what this means by just looking at the word. It has the word provide in it. It's how God provides or takes care of his creation. It's how he rules and how he guides us in the creation. Now, this means that everything that happens in our lives comes first through the hand of God. Now, that applies to both the good things that come from his hand and also the bad or the hard and difficult things that come through his hand. All of it happens beneath God's sovereign providential care for the world, care for us. Now, God does not do evil. So the evil things that happen have a different source. Like the suffering that comes upon Job, that's actually Satan's the agent of that. But nevertheless, God is the sovereign ruler. God is the one who permits it for his own purposes. In Job chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, Job teaches us now that we have to trust God's providence, even when his providence is bitter, when it's hard, when it brings suffering. Satan comes back to God along with the other angels there. In the opening of chapter 2, God checks in on their previous bet. He won the bet on Job. Verse 3, God points out that Job still worships him, even though Satan um, brought about this undeserved disaster. That's what's meant by that last phrase, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. 
So Job's suffering is unexplained and undeserved. And unexplained and undeserved suffering, that has a way of turning a lot of people bitter rather than better. Turning them away from God rather than toward God. And that's what Satan was betting on, but Satan's lost the first bet, but he, he can't be done. He wants to double down now. It's double or nothing. Satan argues that the only reason Job did not curse God is because God did not cause Job to suffer physically in his body. Satan says, all that a man has, he will give for his life. In other words, the life is the most precious thing. We'll take all our other possessions and all the other things that we have in order to preserve our life. And so Satan is like, so if you touch his life, then he will curse you. Once again, God says, bet. Satan goes out, verse 7, strikes Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. This man's entire body is covered with sores. Can you imagine the severe discomfort that he would have been in? And Job is sitting around in ashes, grieving with broken pottery, scratching himself. It's so bad that Job's own wife, in verse 9, gives up on him and gives up on the situation. She says in verse 9, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Man, get it over with. Why are you still trying to be righteous? God is, has turned from you. You need to turn from God. That's what she's thinking. This, this help me is not very helpful in this moment. But we should try to understand her. Job's wife is probably speaking out of profound grief herself. Everything Job has lost, she has also lost, including the 10 children that she gave birth to. Job's wife, again, reminds us that Satan's bet could have been won if placed on other people. So are we more like Job's wife? Or are we desiring to be more like Job? Job replies to his wife, he rebukes her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. It's foolish to reject God, to even consider it. But then Job also puts his trust now in God's providence. This is where we get the point from. Shall we receive good from God, and shall we not receive evil? That's a good question. It's a rhetorical question, but we need to answer it in our own souls. If we're not careful, we come to think that we should only receive good from God and that we should never suffer or receive anything bad from his hands. We tend to think that maybe evil should happen to somebody else and somebody else who's not righteous, but not to us good people. Bad things shouldn't happen. And without ever really sort of paying attention to it, that way of, that way of thinking is just kind of, creep into our hearts and creep into our minds. So we need the mindset of the psalmist. In Psalm 119, beginning in verse 65, the psalmist says there, you have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. 
The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. You see how the psalmist holds together things that we sometimes find difficult? In verse 65, he says, you have dealt well with your servant. So he's acknowledging that God has been good to him. And then in verse 67 and verse 71, he, he mentions his affliction. And in verse 71, he says, it was good that I was afflicted. He understands that, that God is good and that God is treating him well, even in his affliction. He's receiving the bad as well as the good. And he's recognizing that God has purposes even in the bad. Now, we don't know what all God's purposes are. Job didn't know. We don't know. And yet, we know God is good. And so I love the quote from Charles Spurgeon referring to God's providence. He says, when you cannot trace God's hand, trust God's heart. When you can't tell what God is doing with his hands, trust what God is doing because of his heart. He's good. And it's beloved, when we think like that, that we're walking by faith and not by sight. When we are sort of meditating on whether or not we've gotten this blessing or that blessing, or whether or not things have gone this way or that way as we had hoped, we're basically walking by sight, not by faith. Especially if those things are making us bitter and making us to back away from God. But to walk by faith is to believe and to know that God is good and that he does good all the time, even when he's ruling through bad circumstances that come into our lives. So the question is, are we resolved in 2021 to receive good as well as bad from God's hand if that's his will? If we want to worship through pain, I mean, if we want to worship even through our pain, then we have to accept God's providence. Let's resolve to do so. Which brings us to our final point. We want to resolve to focus on being gospel friends. Being gospel friends. If 2021 does not change from 2020, then we're going to need some good empathetic, listening, patient friends who go through with us. Job chapter 2, verses 11 and 13, Job's friends hear of his suffering, and they set up a time together to come to show him sympathy and comfort. As Dion Ward told y'all a long time ago, that's what friends are for. Now, later, Job's friends start talking, and that's when all the trouble breaks out. They say all kinds of crazy things, but they don't, they don't start out that way. Notice what they did when they first came to see their friend, verses 12 and 13. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads toward heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. 
They sat with Job. They cried with Job. They mourned with Job. They kept quiet with Job. They felt for Job. They saw Job's suffering. I think this is one of the best friendship scenes in all the Bible. For me, it's right up there with Jonathan and David. Job's friends, as I said, didn't create any problems until they started offering answers. But when they just entered into the suffering and shared it, they were being the best of friends. It reminds me of what the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, where he writes, The Father of mercies and God of all comfort comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Indeed, Job's friends in verses 12 and 13 remind us also of what the Bible teaches us about our Savior. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Good friendships are gospel friendships, because like Jesus in the gospel, a good friend shares in your suffering takes it onto themselves as part of their lives. I, I like to think that Job's friends were practicing this in his first seven days and seven nights. I like to think that God would make us these kinds of friends to each other in our suffering in 2021 and beyond. In fact, I would like to suggest that we make being sympathetic, empathetic, attentive, listening, seeing, quiet, gospel friendship during suffering, a goal and a resolution for 2021. We need each other in this way. If it doesn't get better, then we're going to need friendship to survive it. Gospel friendship. And I'd like to suggest, if you're not a Christian this morning, that the first and the best friend that you could have is Jesus Christ, the Lord. He sticks closer than any brother. He, as the text in Isaiah says, he has borne or carried your grief and your sorrows. He has carried and been pierced for your transgressions, your sins. He was crushed on the cross for your iniquities and my iniquities. In other words, he took your place in the worst form of suffering. God's wrath against man's sin. What other friend do you have like that who would die for you and suffer God's judgment for you so that you in turn could be free from guilt, free from sin, free from judgment, free from the condemnation that you deserve? Well do we sing what a friend we have in Jesus. Beloved, I just want to ask you this morning if that's your friend, if he is your friend, if you have come to trust him as your savior and to repent of your sin, he will be a friend to you indeed, even if you have no other friends.
he will be to you the best of friends. So beloved, let us resolve in 2021, if we are not Christians, to become Christians, to repent of sin, to confess it, and to put our faith in Jesus Christ, who was crucified for us and raised from the grave for our justification and eternal life. And let us resolve that we are already Christians to go on to be better Christians, to focus on what matters most, our souls and the souls of those whom we love, to focus on de developing the fear of the Lord, a real reverence for him, uh, a real trembling before him, and to focus on uh, the sovereignty of God and to focus on accepting the providence of God and then going on to be useful brothers and sisters in the Lord, useful friends, one to the other. Here's the thing about 2020. God brought you through it. And here's the thing about 2021. He will do it again. But if things don't change, let us be people who continue to worship him, just as Job did when things got worse for him. Let's pray. Lord God, we do praise you as the one who has brought us through all of our trials and troubles. Lord, we praise you that you have brought us through all of our grief and suffering. And you are preserving us even now. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would give us grace to know you so well, to honor you so much, that even if you never did another thing for us, we would praise you still. We pray that you give us grace to declare like Job. Even if he slay me, still I will trust him. Preserve us in faith. Preserve our witness. Preserve us in integrity and blamelessness, not of our own, but through faith in Christ, that we might walk in a manner worthy of the gospel. Keep us, O oh Lord, by your word, we pray. And use us, we pray, for your glory each day of 2021. For the salvation of our neighbors and family, and for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. We have a friend in Jesus. What a friend we have in sins and griefs to bear, and what a privilege to carry, everything to God in prayer, oh, what peace, and oh, what peace we often forfeit, and oh, what needless pain we We do not carry everything to God in prayer. Go to God in prayer. Have we trials?
Fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all both now and forevermore.